Well, good morning, Genesis. Uh, thanks for coming out on this Arctic Sunday morning here in central Indiana. Uh, my name is Paul Mumon. I'm the lead pastor here, and I want to start off today uh, and just make you aware in case you missed the announcement last Sunday or if you didn't see this on social media, but um, our worship pastor, Josh Rogers, who is uh, leading here this morning, uh, has accepted a new position uh, at North Shore Christian Church uh, just north of Seattle in Seattle, Everett, Washington, and uh, so he's going to be leaving us uh, in, in a few weeks, and uh, I know about you, but uh, I know that we all appreciate and love Josh and Courtney and their children. They have served uh, faithfully and just been a fantastic part of this family uh, for the last four years. I really don't know what it is about the Seattle area. I told Josh, you know, he loves the outdoors and all, that he's really kind of forfeiting outdoor life here in Indiana for outdoor life uh, in the Seattle area. But uh, man, this is something that they have taken so seriously and been praying faithfully through uh, for a little while now. And so while we're sad to see them go, we are celebrating with them because I have no doubt uh, that this is the next step uh, in their lives and in the ministry uh, that the Lord has for them. So Josh will be with us for a couple of more weeks. Sunday, January 22nd will be his last Sunday leading worship for us. Uh, I hope you'll take some time, whether that be today or sometime in the next couple of Sundays, meet Josh up front or catch Josh and Courtney on a Sunday morning. Uh, just thank them, love them. Uh, we'll be praying for them too. They've got a house to sell. They've got to move across country. And uh, also be praying for Genesis 2 as we'll begin our search for a new worship pastor. And uh, so we're going to trust the Lord to kind of lead us uh, through that time uh, of transition. Hey, have you ever heard it said that everyone is going to get their 15 minutes of fame uh, somewhere along the way? You've heard that before? Uh, I think I got my chance last night, and, uh, but not really 15 minutes, more like 15 seconds of fame. I uh, took my family uh, out to watch the Noblesville High School uh, boys basketball team. Coach McCauley uh, and the guys get a big win over Muncie Central uh, last night here in Noblesville. We went to the game, enjoyed that. Around halftime, they started mentioning my name over the intercom that I had been selected for the half-court shot uh, for the 50-inch uh, smart TV, and I got to tell you, I don't know about you, but I've been preparing for a moment like this all my life, all right? I have watched people take these shots. I have visualized that moment. I have practiced for these moments in the gym, and so sure enough, you know, I got that word. They said it would sometime be after the third quarter, and wouldn't you know it, right as the third quarter came to an end, uh, I go walking out on the court again. My one chance, one shot at the 50-inch smart TV, and while my son captured a video of the moment here, I thought she would enjoy it. And, uh, well, it's amazing how nervous you get I, I, uh, out there on the court, but here it is. It's time for a half-court shot. It's Paul there it is. Get in there. Boom. Yes. That's what you call a brick. Evidently, I didn't take into account. I've been lifting weights, all right? And I just hadn't taken that into account in throwing up that shot. And uh, I did get a $25 gift card out of it, but unfortunately, I got to watch football today on my 42-inch TV uh, at home. But 
It really was a thrill. It would have been a lot of fun if I'd have made it. Man, and a great video to share with you this morning. But hey, if you've got your Bible with you today, I want to invite you to take it and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to spend a lot of time in our Bibles this year. And so if you don't have one, I hope you'll get one. If you don't have a Bible, the Bible's around the room. You're welcome to take one of those. Uh, and if you're grabbing one of those today, you can turn to page 805, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, as you're turning there, I, I want to remind you, I want to remind each of us uh, of an important truth this morning, right from the top, right at the beginning of this year, that if you're in Christ Jesus, all right, if you call yourself a Christian, uh, you have a responsibility. Uh, you and I, we have a job, we have a part to play in this world. There, there is a vision, I believe, that God has for each of us, and it involves every single person here. And it doesn't matter if you are a mom or a dad, it doesn't matter if you're a grandma or a grandpa, it doesn't matter uh, if you're an empty nester, if you're single or if you're a newlywed, it doesn't matter if you're a college student, a high school student or a middle school student, it, it doesn't matter if you've been around church for 30 years or if you've been around church for about 30 days, that God has a mission and a very clear purpose for your life. You and I, we have, all of us, a significant part to play in the kingdom of God. And so that's what we're up to right at the start of this brand new year uh, with this three-week series that we launched today, this series called The Harvest. What's the harvest? Well, it's the harvest that Jesus was speaking about in places like John chapter 4, verse 35, when he turned to his disciples and said, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Now, I hope you realize that Jesus is not talking about soybeans here, all right? He's talking about people, and he's describing the process of bringing new people, new believers into his kingdom, or as we like to say here at Genesis Church, helping people find their way back to God. And that's our mission. Uh, and that has always been the mission and the passion of our church. Genesis has always been about bringing in the harvest. And it goes all the way back, starting as a brand new church plant in a classroom at Grace Church 14 years ago. Some of you remember that. Uh, some of you were there for those first days as a church. Uh, in the fall of 2003, Genesis, uh, outgrowing that classroom, rented some space and, well, began to grow and even more. And, and it was during those first few years as a church that Genesis moved from Noblesville to Westfield and back from Westfield to Noblesville and adding staff all throughout the years. Uh, Genesis finally settled into this location here on Pleasant Street in 2007, and it really wasn't long before this building started filling up, and so we grew from one service to two services. We actually used to do three services every Sunday morning. It was so packed, and, and it was a big step for us when we finally made the decision to expand this facility in order to provide more space for kids and for students and for groups here in our church. And then God presented an opportunity that, well, it came a lot quicker than any of us were really prepared for, but it was the opportunity to launch our first campus, uh, the Carmel Campus. And that happened in 2012, and we sent 140 people uh, to Carmel to start Genesis Church Carmel. We just loved the idea of growing without having to build a larger facility. And our Carmel Campus has been growing ever since. And well, over the years, we've invested in other church plants. We've invested in church plants like Genesis Church, West Plains, Missouri. We uh, invested and helped launch Movement Church, Josh and Heidi Tandy in Newport, Kentucky, and most recently uh, with a great financial gift to Grace Church in Bloomington, Indiana. And it's why we partner. It's why we partner with ministries like Nehemiah Vision Ministries in Haiti and ICF Church in Albania and uh, 
opportunities now in Myanmar and local ministries, ministries like Food for Souls and Restored and Shepherd Community and Young Life all serving here in central Indiana. And why do we do it, right? Why, why do we take the time? Uh, why do we invest the money? Why do we send mission trips and, and, and invest these resources? Because we've got our eyes fixed on the harvest. All right, we, we've got our eyes, our goals set on being obedient to the mission that Jesus has called to. Our, our mission is helping people find their way back to God, and by, uh, our hope is that by engaging as many workers as possible in the harvest, you know, that we might be able to fulfill what Jesus has in mind for us. And so here's the goal. Here's really just kind of the bottom line for us these next few weeks. My hope is to be able to paint a picture for you of what we see God doing in and through Genesis Church and where we hope and believe it might lead from here. Because you see, over these past couple of years, God has really been providing some great clarity for us. And we really believe that he's been preparing us and he's still preparing us and teaching us some things along the way too. Things like, you know, um, one of the things that we've learned, one of the things that we've discovered over these last few years is that the Sunday morning worship service isn't as effective as an evangelistic tool as it used to be. I mean, it used to be that anyone was open to going to church. It used to be that you could plan these uh, outreach sort of teaching series, and you could invite your neighbors and friends, and they would respond, and they would come and maybe give their uh, life to Christ in, in a room like this. I know some of you, you know, that's how you came to the Lord, and you came to the Lord through Genesis Church and in doing these things, but it's, it's not necessarily the case anymore. I mean, people don't attend church like they used to. They, they, they don't feel guilty about not being in church on the weekends, or they don't see the value of it for their lives. Now, don't get me wrong, all right? I believe that Sunday morning worship is essential for every follower of Christ and for our church and for faith in Christ. I'm just saying it's no longer as sufficient as the primary tool for helping people find their way back to God and reaching people who are far from God. And so we've made some shift in our efforts and in our focus. And again, it doesn't mean that Sunday mornings aren't important. It doesn't mean that Sunday mornings aren't a great place to invite people. We've just come to see that it's not the most effective way to reach people far from the Lord. But disciple making, now that's a whole different ballgame. And what we're learning and discovering is that disciple making has the potential to bring in an even greater harvest. And that's why disciple making has become our number one priority as a church. Now, if you're new to all of this, when I say disciple making, I'm talking about the process of leading someone who is far from the Lord to Christ, all right, helping that person grow in their understanding and in their relationship with Jesus, and then releasing that person, sending that person to go out as a worker and to be able to do the same for someone else. Here's what I believe. I believe that we can help even more people find their way back to God as a church as every person, that means every person here, discovers their potential to be able to disciple others. And that's how we become a disciple-making church. That's how we fulfill Jesus' command to bring in a great harvest. And so here's the bottom line. And next to the work of God, the real difference maker in moving from where we are as a church to ultimately where we'd like to be as a church. The bottom line is you. It's you. It's every person. It's your willingness to make the move. It's your willingness to say, I'm available and I'm ready 
to be used by God. See, here's the thing. God wants to use you to reach your neighbor. God wants to use you to reach your, your coworker. God, students wants, uh, God wants to use you to reach your students, uh, to reach your school right now, to reach your floor. Uh, God wants to use you to reach your friends. God wants to use you to reach your family. The, the reality is this. If we're going to make a sizable difference in this world, if we're going to bring in the harvest that Jesus has called us to, it's going to, it's going to require every person making disciples. See, here's the thing, and if you're taking notes and you want to write this down today, really the, the goal, the bottom line for today is this, is that every person has a part to play in helping people find their way back to God. And if you want to make that very personal for you, then just write those words, I have a part to play. I have a responsibility to play in helping people find their way back to God. And so where do we see God moving, all right? Where, where are we preparing ourselves to follow him? Well, it's really quite simple, but yet a huge leap all at the same time. And even Jesus recognized this challenge. I mean, it was a challenge 2,000 years ago and certainly a challenge today. Look at what Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, verse 2. He said, the harvest is plentiful, meaning there are people all around you right now that the Lord is preparing to be on the receiving end of a message about a greater truth, about how we can be new in Christ Jesus. But look at the tension, look at the challenge. He says, but the workers are few. And so Jesus said, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. You need to know that at Genesis Church, we believe that God wants to turn that reality upside down right here, that there are few workers, but we believe that God can do a great work in this place so that every person recognizes and understand that they have a part to play in helping people find their way back to God. And so we're praying that. And we're praying that God gets a hold of each and every one of us. We're praying that the Lord will equip us, all right, and equip you and send you out as workers into the harvest field. And with that, we're praying and believing that Genesis Church can serve as a catalyst and a great catalyst for a movement of disciples ready to go out and to help people find their way back to God all over this county and all over this state and even around the world. But it begins right now, right here, and at this moment with you realizing that you are a part of God's plan and that you have a part, you have a purpose in helping people find their way back to God. And I know that for some of you, you know that and you realize that and you're living that and you're practicing and you're praying and you're doing these things faithfully. I know that for others of you, you're hungry and you're listening and you're responding. Man, we've just been overwhelmed by people who are saying, you know, I'm hungry and I'm ready and I'm willing, teach me, show me, let's learn how to do this together. I know that at the same time, there are others of you, it's not on your radar, all right? And maybe for various reasons. And so there are questions. I mean, there are all sorts of questions like what does it even mean to play a part or, or why me or what could I possibly do? Or what's my responsibility as a disciple of Jesus today? Well, here's the thing. Fortunately for us, we're not the first group of people to ever ask questions like that, uh, to ask these types of questions about life and purpose as a follower of Jesus in our world. Interestingly enough, men and women and students in the first century wondered these very same things, so much so that a guy, an apostle, a guy that we know as the Apostle Paul, addressed this very issue and question in a book called 2 Corinthians. And uh, this is a letter, really, that he wrote to a church in Corinth. Uh, it was not only a valuable insight for the people then, for followers of Christ then, but we believe that it's also valuable insight for us today. And so here's what we're going to do. Over the next few minutes, we've got the opportunity to listen to the Apostle Paul address this very issue again. What does it mean that every person has a part to play? And so, again, if you've got your Bible, uh, open it up to 2 Corinthians 
chapter 5. Uh, we're going to start in verse 14, but what I'd like to actually do first is I want to skip ahead to the very last verse in this section, as it really is important for you to see the motivation uh, behind the Apostle Paul and his plea to these people, all right, but to each of us today as well. Now, we call it the good news. All right, we call it the gospel of Jesus Christ, and this really is the motivation behind everything we do as a church, and it ought to be the motivation behind everything we do as followers of Jesus today. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, Paul writes this. He says, God made him, and who's he referring to there? We know he's referring to Jesus. He says, God made Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, this life-changing truth left the Apostle Paul in awe of the incredibly gracious love of God. See, here's the thing, and here's the challenge that we all face as people. We're all born into the problem of sin. Every single one of us are born into this problem of sin, and because God knew that we could never solve the problem of sin on our own, he made the first move. And he demonstrated his love for us when he sent his son Jesus into the world to take on our sin. I mean, think about that. Think about that for a moment, that Jesus had no sin of his own, yet he willingly went to the cross where he took on your sin and he took on my sin and he died for it on the cross. He took my place and your place and he bore that punishment for us. What, what kind of God does that? Like, how do you even begin to describe a love like that, to realize what Jesus Christ did for you? I don't know about you, but I don't feel very deserving of a love, uh, of an act like that. It's kind of like when I get my car washed at Car Wash King, all right? I, I love Car Wash King, and uh, maybe it's because of the $3 coupons, really, all right, you know, that I love getting my car washed uh, there. But I got to be honest with you, I always feel a little guilty, all right, sitting in my dry comfortable, warm car while all of these guys run around in the water, all right, and in the cool air, you know, cleaning my car, washing away all of the grime or something. I mean, I'm just saying, like, who do I think I am? I'm like the Prince of England or something here, you know, that I get to sit while all these men do this work for me. I'm just saying that I don't feel very deserving to sit in comfort while someone washes the grime away, but do you know that's precisely what Jesus did for us? Uh, that's precisely what Christ has done for you. And he's the only one. Like, he's the only one that can deal with the problem of sin. He's the only one that can deal with the problem of sin in my life. He's the only one that can deal with the problem of sin in your life and in your friends' lives and in your family's life. He became sin for us, all right? That means when I trusted Christ with my life, when you trusted Christ with your life, God took my sin and he transferred it to Jesus and he took Jesus' righteousness and he transferred it to my life. And if you've trusted Christ, he's done the very same for you. And for the Apostle Paul, he just never fully recovered from this. It messed him up every day, all right? He couldn't get over the fact that Jesus did for him. It changed the trajectory of his life forever. How about you? Is it having the same impact on you today and on the way you live? Well, this is what Paul has going on when he writes then, starting in verse 14. He says, so it's, it's Christ's love that compels us. 
All right? He says, because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. I don't know about you, but that word compel just kind of jumps off the pages uh, at me. I mean, uh, that word compelled means to constrain. Uh, it means to control. It means to, to hem in in a good way. And so Paul, what he is saying is he's saying, hey, I'm living my life now giving everything that I have out of honor for what God has accomplished for me in Jesus Christ. And where does it lead? Look at verse 15. He said, and he died for all. All right, he just reaffirms once again, he's going to say it over and over again, all right, that Jesus died for us. Now look what he says next, that those who live, all right, those who come into a relationship with Christ, those who call themselves a Christian should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. See, for Paul again, he, he's just saying right here that he lives because Christ is in him now, all right? Everything has changed. And, and for those of us who have put our trust in Jesus, if, that, if that's you today, there, there's a death to the old self. We're going to see that in just a moment, all right, that, that sinful self, because the good news is that we have new life in Christ. We belong to God now, and because we belong to him, we should no longer live for anyone but Jesus Christ. Paul's going to go on to say this uh, in the book of Galatians. He says, you know, I, I'm crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, he says, you know, I live because of what he did for me, because of what Christ has done for me. And so I don't know about you, but I can just sense Paul and in his passion over this coming unglued with people, all right, pleading with them, pleading with nominal, you know, Christians who, who aren't living this out, saying, how, how does the love of Christ not change you? All right, how does not radically transform your life? How does this life-changing reality, not change the way you live and change the way you use your time and change the way you manage your resources and how you see and treat people around you today, I can just hear him saying, please don't let there be any doubt of who you live for in this world and everything that you do, that there would be no question about what Jesus has done for you in your life. And so he goes on and then in verse 16, he says, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. See, Paul has arrived at this striking conclusion and a reminder, really, I think for all of us, for anyone today, that we're no longer free. Like when you, when you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, all right, when you join God's family, we're, we're no longer free to look at other people from a worldly perspective, all right, we've got to change the way we see things. We've got to change the way we see our neighbors, the way that we see our fellow students, the way we see other people around us. It's his way of saying that as Christians, you know, we're not going to judge people. All right, we're not going to judge those who are far from God or judge people based on the car they drive or judge people based on where they live or how they dress or what they even stand for or who they voted for in the last election. He says, hey, the world does that stuff. But we're not going to live that way. Instead, as disciples, what we need to do and see is that Christ loved them enough to die for them. And for that reason, you and I, we've got to learn to see people through an entirely different set of lenses. I mean, think about this. Do you realize that you have never made eye contact with someone who God wasn't crazy about? You've never made eye contact with anyone that Jesus didn't die for. I mean, it's true. And when you realize that, when you put that into practice, try that today. Man, you'll start to see people differently. You'll start to see everything differently. And so Paul says, I want to see people the way that Jesus sees people. And uh, how does Jesus see people? We'll think back again to the verse we looked up at the top, you know, John 4, 35. What did Jesus say? Open your eyes and look at the harvest. It's ripe. It's ready. There are people all around you who are far from the Lord. I don't know if you realize this or not, but there are so many people around you today who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
So many people you pass every single day, so many people that you interact with, there's new information coming out today suggesting that it may be as few as 8% of our U.S. population of people that actually have a relationship with Jesus Christ. 8% of people, all right, who have experienced the power of salvation, the power of cross in their life. Now, I will tell you there are people that push back on that and say, no, it's more like 20 or 30%, but I don't think that's anything to cheer about. Right? I mean, the news is staggering. The reminder is staggering that there are, there, there's work to do. And there are people all around you in your life right now who don't know the Lord. And that doesn't sit well with Paul. And it shouldn't sit well with us either. And so Paul, what he is saying is, hey, I'm seeing the world. I'm seeing people around me through an entirely new set of lenses. He's saying, I'm seeing every environment. I see every uh, environment of my life as a field. We'll talk about that a little bit more uh, next week as an opportunity. And he wants us to do the same, to see things and to see people with these new lenses. And again, what's Paul confident in? He's confident in what Jesus can do for anyone and for any relationship and for any problem. And he knows that from experience because Paul, and if you don't know his story, was a pretty unsavory character himself. But one thing changed everything for Paul. He gets there in verse 17. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. And again, this just defines Paul's life, all right? This is just the heartbeat behind everything he does. And this is what should define not only your life, but everything that you do for Jesus in this world. It's that reminder that Christ was crucified. He was raised to new life. And because Christ was raised to new life, we're offered a brand new life a new beginning, a new hope, a new way of living. I mean, that's what the cross of Christ does for people, all right? It gives us this new life. It, it puts sin to death, and in Jesus Christ, we're made. You can be made brand new. And when you surrendered your life to Jesus, and I don't know how long ago that was for you, he pronounced you a new creation. And I hope you'll just let that sit in, sink in for you. Maybe, maybe light a fire under you today that you are brand new, in Jesus Christ. I mean, because of Jesus, you were given a new life. You've been recreated as a new creation. You have a a new master. All of this work done by the hands of a new master. And do you know what else? As the cross of Jesus Christ has changed your life, it also has the power and the potential to change the life of anyone around you. That's what Paul sees. All right, he knows, he understands that potential. Let me say it again. If If the cross of Jesus Christ has changed you, guess what? It has the potential to change the life of the person sitting next to you today. Uh, The cross of Jesus Christ has the potential to change the people sitting around you right now. Uh, The cross of Jesus Christ has the potential to change the life of that one person that hurt you deeply, uh, that one person that took advantage of you, that one person that that, that abused you. It's it's the cross of Jesus Christ that has the potential to change the life of your neighbor next door, to change the life of, uh, of a teacher. It's the cross of Jesus that has the potential to change your friend's life or even the spouse that you wish was sitting here with you today. So the cross of Jesus has the power to change anyone. And if we believe that, all right, and if we've experienced that in our own life, and if we believe that he's done that for others, then we must be prepared and willing to take up what Paul offers next. In verse 18, he says, all this is from God, he reminds us again, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against him, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We're reminded again that you can't save yourself. 
You can't solve the problem of sin on your own. Only God can do that. It was God who reconciled us to Himself. It was God that issued this question, this challenge of hostility. It's God who blotted out our sins through Christ. He put your sins and my sins on Jesus. And if we've trusted Christ, He's given you Christ's righteousness, which means you were made new and that you belong to Him. And now, look at the job, look at the work, look at the part we're called to play as followers of Jesus. He says two things, that He has given us the ministry of reconciliation and that He has given us the message of reconciliation. And look how He goes further with that in verse 20. He says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making His appeal through us. He says, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Paul says that God made you an ambassador, a representative of Jesus Christ to this world, a representative with a message and a responsibility to share the news of Jesus with others. You know, I found this kind of interesting. For those living during this time, living under the rule of Rome, uh, there was no greater honor than to be chosen as an ambassador to the emperor of Rome. And an ambassador was an official representative that often lived in a foreign country. And that ambassador was trusted with influence and the responsibility of speaking on behalf to the emperor of the emperor, on behalf of the emperor to the people of the world. And so what Paul's doing here is he's borrowing a concept from culture to help people then, as well as you and me today, to better understand what it is that we've been called to as disciples of Jesus. See, if you're in Christ, then you're an ambassador. You're a worker, a disciple. And that just means that you represent God to the people that he is putting in your life right now. And so no matter what you do with your time, uh, no matter what you do for a living, no matter where you go to school, you have been given influence as well as an audience for which you are responsible for sharing the message of hope and love of Jesus with others. And what's the message? The message is that in Christ, you're brand new. That in Jesus, all things become new. Check it out in the New Living Translation I love the way that it's written here, uh, New Living Translation, verse 20. It says, so we are Christ's ambassadors. Uh, God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Our mission statement as a church, that language comes right out of this passage here, that we exist to help people find their way back to God. We believe that Genesis Church exists to help people find their way back to God, but not just the church. See, the church isn't an entity in and of itself, all right? It's people. And so what I hope you see and what I hope the work that the Lord does in your life today is for you to realize that you have an important part to play, that God wants to use you to help people find their way back to God. Would you consider making this your personal mission statement? Would you consider maybe even surrendering your will and your life right now and even the rest of this year to whatever the Lord has for you and the opportunity, the responsibility, the potential of playing that part, of helping people find their way back to God, any person that the Lord chooses to put in your life. You know, it's through people that God has chosen to communicate this message of hope, really the beauty and the benefits of the cross. Write this down in your notes if you would. Rescued people rescue people. Uh, That's what he's after here. I think that's what Paul's getting at there. Rescued people, like you and me, rescue people. I mean, think about it. Imagine you're on a boat full of people and that boat's sinking. 
And for any of you that are going on a cruise in the next few months, I apologize for the illustration. But imagine you're on a boat and it's sinking, and the next thing you know, you're in the water, all right, and you're fighting for your life, and all of a sudden another boat comes along, someone reaches down into the water and lifts you up out of the water and into a safe boat. What do you do in that moment? You join in the rescue efforts, don't you? I mean, you're looking out about the water. I mean, looking for the people around you, helping in this. And the challenge for us is that it's so easy to get distracted by so many other things in life when our greatest priority is to represent Jesus and the message of Jesus with others. See, that's for me. I mean, my greatest priority of life that I'm reminded of is it is my responsibility to represent Jesus to my neighbors, to represent Jesus to my, to my wife and to my children, to represent Jesus to my family, to the, to the kids that I coach on sports teams you know, throughout the year. And not because I'm a pastor, all right, but because I belong to Jesus. Right, because I'm a new creation in Jesus Christ. And if you've come to the foot of the cross, all right, and you've experienced the power of God and forgiveness and redemption in your life and it's changed you, then you've got a ministry too. And you've got a responsibility. And you have a message and a part to play in helping people find their way back to God. Man, Genesis, I want you to be encouraged that there are some amazing things happening in our church right now. Amazing things happening in the lives of men and women and students who are really moving forward and practicing these things and really making an effort to help people find their way back to God. We've got one story that we want to share with you to show this. Check this out. I'm really passionate about when when women get together that they're so much more vulnerable and open up and my goal is really to get people excited about the Lord and just learning to be in his presence and encounter Jesus through that and to know that it's life-giving and it just brings freedom and um, I just love when women come together and can open up and do that and so that was my initial goal and um, what's funny is the first session which this is a good just thing to remember for group leaders is nobody shared anything ever so I just kept showing up, and it was a group of women that I had met in random ways, some from the group that Kevin and I had had, um, and just kept praying and hoping that they would share and open up and that the Lord was moving in their lives, which He was, and I just saw a little bit of fruit from that. But it wasn't until continuing on the next session when um, kind of the waters broke open and people really started opening up and sharing, and that's when we really saw God do a big work. and this journey that we've had over the last two years as a group. One relationship in particular that has been really exciting to me and has really encouraged me in my own walk just by watching her seek so hard after the Lord is my friend Lindsay. She emailed me about the women's group um, at her house and the women that were on that group, like I didn't know them very well, but I knew who they were, and it felt like we were all relatively in the same season of life. It was hard because I, I'm not really like, I, it's hard for me to connect to people. And so it took a, a little bit, and um, little by little, we started getting closer, talking, finding more common ground. And I was really determined into just like opening the word and um, just reading it. And even if I didn't understand it, just keep reading it and then ask Paige those questions that I didn't understand. So then I would understand. I went to church and I remember standing there, standing and worshiping and had this 
overwhelming feeling of put your hand up. And I was like, no, that is, that's so weird. I'm not doing that. And it was like, you know, this emptiness that you're feeling, it's because you haven't stepped into this relationship with me. Like I'm here, you're here. Just declare me over yourself. And um, when you do that, like pain and that emptiness will go away. And I remember I was like, okay. And I put my hand up and um, in worship and everybody else kind of like blurred out around me, I felt like. and my body just started shaking, like an overwhelming like shake, and tears were coming down, and um, it was like a release. Like, there was something in me that just felt peace, like an inner like peace, and so after that, it was just like, kind of like full steam ahead, like, I'm gonna get baptized, I'm gonna declare this, and I'm gonna like share that. Um, and so one day I was actually um, sharing Christ with somebody at work, actually two girls at work. It was midnight. I worked like the um, third shift and neither one of these are, neither one of them are believers. The other one said, you know, I've known Lindsay for 12 years and last year there has been something different about her. She has just gone after it so hard and it has made me just feel like saying I will give everything to this. I will give everything to you. I will do whatever I can to help you because when God is at work and we partner with him at that place that he's at work, that is when we just see mountains move. And that is where I'm going to say I will sacrifice time and energy and prayer and that is where I will invest my life. It's a great story and one of many, you know, but one person, Paige, finding her part and helping people find their way back to God, Lindsay too. Man, I want you to see, I want you to understand that you have a part to play too in helping people find their way back to God. And of course, and as always, Jesus is our greatest example in this. Jesus was the greatest ambassador for God that ever lived and he invested in a few people all right, and he helped them grow in their relationship with the Lord, and then he released them to go and do the same for others. As a new creation in Jesus Christ, we no longer live for ourselves. We live for someone greater. We live for something greater. We've been given the responsibility to share this same message too, that you can find your way back to God. Can I ask you a question today? Are you willing? Are you willing, even if you don't completely understand what that means for you and your life and your situation right now, you know, maybe that's the greatest thing that the Lord is after for you today is just a heart of willingness, a heart of surrender to say, I want to play this part. I want to live for Christ and for others in my life so that they might find their way back to God. That's the goal for us, all right? That's the real game changer is that every person recognizing the part they have to play. And it's the beginning of the new year, all right? This is a great time for new commitments. This is a great time for new prayers. Maybe your commitment this morning is, you know what, I want to grow. I want to just continue 
better understanding what it means that I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I want to grow in that understanding and build a foundation. Maybe, maybe a commitment you make today is, you know what, I'm going to start praying for people in my life. I'm going to get serious about this. Maybe you've got one or two people that you're just going to faithfully pray for and pray for opportunities and pray for those moments where you can share your life and your faith with them. Maybe it's that step to invest in someone. Maybe God's put someone around you right now as, as uh, the Lord put Lindsay in Paige's life. Maybe God wants to put somebody in your life. Maybe he has already has somebody that you can be investing in. Or again, maybe your prayer today is just to simply pray this, Father, I belong to you. My life has been forever changed. I'm a new creation. Show me the part you have for me in this world. Will you bow your heads with me? And maybe we just pray that prayer together right now. And if the Lord's leading you in that way this morning, just to pray, Lord, you, you can have my life. Father, thank you for what Christ has accomplished for me. Change my life, Lord. Change it radically. Change the, change the trajectory right now of the way that I'm living, maybe for some of you. Maybe it's just greater confidence in the places that he's put you right now. But just to pray today, Lord, just to pray very simply, Lord, I'm willing, I surrender my life to you because Jesus Christ gave up his life for me. Father, we're inviting you to do a great work in our church. Father, we are inviting you to lead and we want to keep following you, Lord, to whatever you have planned for us as a church in this year and in the years to come. Thank you, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for giving us your son and thank you for trusting us with this message that people can find their way back to God. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.